0: Hey, this is Donald Ray Pollock, and you're listening to Books.
1: Daddy was a cop on the east side of Chicago. Back in the U.S.
2: Welcome to Books.
0: I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Sneddon. Uh Tonight is the introductory episode for our third and final reading from the AWP um, Weekend Chicago. Uh, this one's called The Shindig in Chi-Town and uh, took place at the Billy Goat Tavern on Friday, March 2nd. So roughly a month ago now. Um, it was presented by Burnt Bridge and Flywheel Magazine and specifically by the editors-in-chief, um, Jason Stewart and David James Keaton. Um, Both those guys, the big dogs at uh, each
2: of those publications, respectively. That's right. So this first episode, um, we're going to kick things off by uh, Jason Stewart from Burnt Bridge is going to introduce the evening. And then um, our first reader is going to be Michael Chisniewski, who is the author of Elephants in Our Bedroom. And he just released a collection of shorts called Chicago Stories, which he reads from in this episode. Followed by that is going to be Mark Rapaz, who is the author of Buffalo Bill in the
0: Gallery of the Machines, um, from which he's going to read an excerpt where Buffalo Bill um, meets up with Thomas Edison. So very cool stuff. That's actually Bur- is going to be Burnt Bridge's first um, paper publication. So very exciting stuff for both Mark and Burnt
2: Bridge. That's right. So check out the readings right now. Here's Michael Chesniewski and Mark Rapaz.
3: All right, uh, we're gonna get started here. Can everybody hear me in the back pretty decently? So for the readers, just project about at this level, and we we can hear pretty well. Um, we'll have, you know, you know, audience commentary. If you feel like throwing tomatoes, if you <laughs> <laughs> please don't actually do that. Tomatoes
0: readily available. Yeah,
3: because they've got them back there at the uh, at the condiment tray, and pickles and everything. So back
4: there, you can't hear you at all. You have not to at all. Be louder, louder, not louder in the back.
3: So about this loud, at least. at least this loud. So we're gonna we're gonna read at least this loud. Okay. All right. Thanks everybody for coming out. Um, this is the Shindig and Shy Town, Burnt Bridge and Flywheel magazine joint reading. I we've got still got promotional copies of Burnt Bridge's first print title. Did anybody not get one that wants one? They're free, by the way. Pass them back. Thank you. Um. I'll introduce Mark, the author, here in a minute, but um, I'm going to let David from Flywheel take over. He's got the first man of the hour.
2: Okay.
3: We We got to get that guy a seat. I think there's one up here. You can have mine. Alright,
4: my name is Dave Keaton from uh, Flywheel magazine. Our first author tonight, Michael Chisniewski, author of two short story collections, Elephants in Our Bedroom and Chicago Stories, which came out like hours ago. He's got them for sale. He teaches at Bowling Green State University, where he serves as editor-in-chief of the Mid-American Review. In 2010, he received an NEA Fellowship in Fiction. And when I went to school there, he gave me an A minus. <laughs> so, we will be grading his reading. Here's Mike.
3: Oops. Hold on. Let me slide. On the way. I'm going
4: to walk back as you walk up. Okay. All right. Can you guys hear me in the back? <laughs> um, I'll talk louder. How am I here now? Good. Is that good? Yeah. Okay. I could read everybody else's if if you need me, because I'm a teacher, and I teach in cavernous (laughs) halls with no students ever show up to my classes. So I could just yell if you want me to. All right, my new book just came out, like uh, Dave said. Uh, Before I get started, though, let me thank Burnt Bridge and Flywheel and everybody at the Billy Goat for having me out. It's so awesome to be here. Uh, I, you know, I can say now I've read at the Billy Goat, okay? My book is... uh, there are 40 stories from the persona of famous Chicagoans, and some of those Chicagoans are inanimate. The
3: waiter wants
4: to no, that's cool.
3: <laughs>
4: cool, but I'll get started. I'll read a few of these, and um, that's what I'll do, okay? I'll try to do recognizable things, though. Even if you're not from Chicago, you'll know exactly who I'm talking about. Okay? You can still hear me in the back? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, Again, some of the famous Chicagoans are inanimate objects, like the New Soldier Field. That's where the Bears play, and they redid that about ten years ago. And a lot of people, when it came out, said it looked like a spaceship landed in the old Soldier Field. So, um, I'll read this one first. Tired of the spaceship comparisons, the New Soldier Field responds to its critics. Captain Kirk is not the quarterback for the Chicago Bears. Neither is Luke Skywalker, Buck Rogers, or George Freakin Jetson. I do not possess the power to detach myself from the old column foundation, turn on my thrusters, and disappear in a flash of light. Ambassadors from other planets do not convene on my concourse, and not once in my short history has anyone ever phoned me to pick him up and take him home. Furthermore, a funkadelic master has never lured me to Earth with his slinky rhythms, and nothing has ever on my watch been stuck up anyone's ass for the advancement of intergalactic knowledge. My co-workers are not small and green, nor are they hellbent on meeting the drivers of pickup trucks, returning to their trailers out in the middle of of the desert. I cannot bend the laws of physics, nor can I travel through time. Warp speed is out of the question, especially with a union workforce. All of my materials can be found on our periodic table of the elements, though if you're looking to point fingers, ask the Metrodome what comprises her artificial turf. I do not shy away from black holes. Less than 3% of me is painted silver. The term space-age polymers is just an expression. On the bright side, no one is buried in my end zone, and I'm not named for a corrupt utilities broker. When it comes right down to it, you have to admit you wouldn't ask about any of this if the boys were making a go of it, the scoreboard singing a happier song, if Butkus or the coach were still here, or God rest his soul, Walter, if Brett Favre were running for his life, the microphones picking up the crack of his bones, his head bouncing off my hard earth, his mind on a brief mission to Mars. that Soldier Field. Nice. You go buy it, if you go on Lakeshore Drive, you'll see it. It's pretty cool, and actually, it's uh, kind of an architectural wonder, the whole thing. Okay, so like this is what I've read: is it's like that's how every stadium's going to be built from now on. So it's actually like people laughed at it, but now it's really awesome. Okay, um, I'll read a couple more. Uh, Sean Dunstan was a Cub that played in the '80s, and he he kind of wasn't a really great hitter. So this, uh, but then he started getting better. So these people used to come every day with season tickets and hold up a sign when he was at bat with his batting average on it every day. And it was called the Shaunometer. And actually, the the guy who made it became friends with him. And like, there's a bunch of pictures with them together because at first he was embarrassed by it. But then it, but anyway. Unearthed at an archaeological dig, the Shaunometer speaks to the media. Harry Carey's Tavern, 2169. It's true what they say, how you don't realize how much you miss everyone until you're gone. The sad thing is when you look around and everyone you know, knew and loved is dead, not to mention forgotten. The last time I saw Sean, let alone anyone else from the old days, he was getting up there, so I had a feeling, even before they told me how long I was away, that his time had passed. Since there's nothing you can do to prepare yourself, not even with a century and a scrap heap to mull it over, I'll be in mourning for a while, surely, but there's also a lot to be excited about. Firstly, over a century's worth of seasons to catch up on, rooms full of tapes to watch, lots of box scores to rifle through. I've been grateful for your cooperation, not letting on, not giving anything away. When I do sit down, I'm going to start at the beginning, trace the steps in order, see if I can't experience things the way I would have had I never left. I don't want the highlights, I want it all, the ups, the downs, the tragedies, the triumphs. I'm hoping for the best, of course, for happy endings to more than one story. Best case scenario, we've caught the Yanks, fly as many banners, if not more, than those goons from the Bronx. Maybe we've lapped them, maybe more. Worst case scenario, I find just one flag, one shining moment, one title that ended the grief, the misery, the streak... Now many of you are probably saying to yourself, that's not the worst case scenario, sean Ometer. trying to avoid eye contact, feeling a pain for me in your hearts. But if that's the case, then what we are thinking is unthinkable. Why would you unearth me if that was the news you had to give? Why not just burn me up and scatter my ashes under the St. Louis arch? No, just one championship over so many years is the worst case scenario. But I'll find that out in due time. First I'm going to visit some old friends, drop by a few graves, lift a few cold ones in their honor. Then I'm going to start with some videos of the last games I was at, see myself in the crowd, younger, less peaked, vacillating with every at-bat. I can't wait to see the sun, to hear Harry do the lineup, to feel the roar of the crowd of the slightest hint of something positive. More than anything, I'm going to be on the lookout for number 12. A ground ball to the left side. My man snatching it, winding up, launching a hundred mile per hour fastball toward Gracie, missing completely, and seeing those fans along the first baseline scatter, duck and cover, run as if for their very lives. This is the Shaunometer. This is really what it looks like, pretty much. I think that's that might be the height of like what it actually got to. Too was 278, which will keep you in the league for. But he played for a long time. He was a really nice guy too. So, okay, I'm gonna end with this one. This is another Cubs one, and I don't want to overwhelm you with like sports and Cubs stuff, but at the same time, this one actually mentions the Billy Goat Tavern. Okay, uh, if you don't know, the Billy Goat Tavern is kind of a legendary place um, for the cheeseburger, cheeseburger thing. But at the same time, the old owner actually wanted to bring a goat to Wrigley Field during the World Series one year. Do you guys know the story? And they wouldn't let him, so he put a curse. On the Cubs, and it's still sadly, if you haven't heard, they haven't won the World Series in 103 years. So, um, wait, 104 years? So, uh, okay, so there's some legends here, too. Um, and Ron, this is from Ron Sano, who was a longtime Cub player and announcer who just died last, uh, in 2010 and was elected to the Hall of Fame like just like a month ago. So, But he never lived to see that, which is really sad to Cub fans and in general. But this mentions the place where you're at. So, uh, but again, thank you for coming out, and thank you for everyone for being here. Uh, I do have books for sale over where I'm sitting over there. So, if you're interested, let me know. In a pre-recorded message played at his Hall of Fame induction, Ron Sano outlines the inevitable Cubs World Series championship parade. Instead of ending in Grant Park, this parade will start in Grant Park. That will give us a large, centralized place for everyone to meet. There's going to be a lot of people in this parade. The players would be first, everyone on a big blue float, sequins shining in the October sun, everyone waving, drinking champagne and blowing kisses to the crowd, all of them trying and failing to hold back the tears. After that they'd have former Cubs, and by that I mean all of them. Ernie gets his own car, a blue Chevy convertible, Billy and Fergie too, then Rhino, Hawk, Mad Dog and maybe a couple of other guys, Beckert and Kessinger and my pal Hundley. Gracie and Sutcliffe and, heck, Sammy Sosa, too. After that, there could be more floats, enough for anyone who's ever played for the Cubs, whether they had at one at bat or they served faithfully for years, never getting a statue, never getting their number on the foul pole. Next would be the owners, along with the executives, broadcasters, scouts, office staff, anyone else who had anything to do with the team's success. The people who put it all together, security guys, groundskeepers, scorekeepers, ushers, janitors, vendors, the guys in the clubhouse. They'd be next, all in uniform, all waving to the fans, maybe throwing little pieces of candies to the kids holding up their fingers, mouthing, we're number one after that. Anyone who wanted to join in, anyone who suffered, anyone who endured, anyone who made it through to the end. They could all follow, even those who lost hope, even those who never followed the team. Everyone, everywhere, one big citywide parade. From Grant Park, we'll move up Michigan Avenue, cross the river, wave hello to everyone at the Wrigley Building and Tribune Tower, point at whoever is in the WGN booth, give them a thumbs up as they call play by play. We'd go up Lakeshore, they'd have to close the whole city down, all the way to North Avenue and cut through Lincoln Park. Everyone would give a speech, and then we'd head up Clark toward the field, stopping at the billy goat along the way to say hello, to tell everyone there are no hard feelings. Once we made it to Wrigley, we'd do three laps around, one for every championship so far. The stadium full to the gills with anyone who wanted to come in and feel the energy, exercise their ghosts, see the flag flying high on the center field post. Then we'd work our way back south, all the way past downtown, all the way to Comiskey and do a lap there just to say hello to the fans on the south side. Let them know that we did it, that we love them just as much as we can love anyone. Finally, we'll end up back at Grant Park, and there the parade will end and the party will begin. Everyone will get up on stage, and everyone, no matter who they are, will get a chance to talk. The whole shebang might take three days, a modern Woodstock, fans drunk on old style, sleeping in tents, lots of free love, no one wanting to go home. Not until it's over, not until the final peanut vendor says thank you, not until Monday comes and the mayor makes us leave. We could stay forever, you know, just celebrate until we die, but eventually we'd have to get back at it. After all, what would be sweeter than the next Cubs World Series title? Two World Series titled, our second repeat. And after that, what Cubs fans deserve, what's been long overdue, a Cub dynasty to last the ages, nothing but total and complete domination. Thank you very much.
3: Alright, uh, our next reader is Mark Repox of Buffalo Bill and the Gallery of the Machines, Rick Bridges' first actual print title. Again, got a couple of promos um, for free. If you want to take it home, read it, write us an Amazon review. If you're famous, get your word. you got copies to sell here too. I've got copies I'm giving out.
4: Oh okay.
3: So um, anyway so yeah it's a great honor to have mark come up and read this is his first book it's our first book uh, as an imprint so it's kind of a guinea pig test run I uh, hope I'm doing right by him um, you know I hope you guys enjoy the book it's a great book uh, obviously I loved it so much I um, decided to make it our first you know inaugural print issue our print book Mark all about Mark <laughs> is a writer and editor from Minneapolis Minnesota uh, coming down from not that far away, but he did fly. He, was, he, was, he got a plane. plane. <laughs> um, so, sometimes he reads long books his writer friends recommend, but they tend to ask for them back uh, when he's only a quarter of the way through, because, as we all know, people don't finish books that they say that they're going to. So I hope you all finish his book and write us a good review. Uh, so he has to make excuses and uh, talk around the fact that he didn't finish the book. He also writes stories of his own. He does finish those. Obviously, he finished a long one. Um, the pushcart people even special mentioned his ass. So, please welcome
1: Mark. Alright, I'm, I'm Mark Paz. I'm kind of terrified right now, but... Um, Am I speaking loud enough? I feel like I'm shouting. Keep going. Not loud enough? Keep going louder? Yes. is this loud enough? Yes. Okay, all right. So I'll try to keep it at this volume. Um, first, I just like to thank Jason Stewart. This is just like, just the greatest thing for me. Um, as he said, I came down from Minneapolis. It's, it's just awesome being in uh, Chicago, being in Legendary Billy Goat Tavern. Um, I didn't know it was a legend till today. Um, But it's great being here. And I thank you all for coming. Um, I'm going to read from Buffalo Bill. Uh, I'm going to start pretty close to the end. Um, It's going to be about a meeting between Buffalo Bill and Thomas Edison. Um, I'll just roll from there. Um, The book's available on Kindle for $1.99. This chapter's called World. No man who worked with gears, sprockets, and transformers ever had the time for the purities of the body, so Buffalo found of his train mechanics and, by extension, any other man who worked with tools. More interested in greasing ball bearings and taking a dip in a sudsy tub at one of the Asian-run bathhouses. Whatever was hidden in those ticking metal inventions anyway that couldn't be put away for a good thorough rubdown. The meeting was brief and took place while Edison's men assembled his vast display in the gallery of the machines. The building was like a giant solarium, and fumes of gases, greases, and diesel, along with the bitter smells of burned leather and rubber belts, mingled with the animal smells of the workhorses and mules dragging in motors and industrial machines the size of entire houses. The larger contraptions were set upon rails but just for the show. Just for the purpose of getting one humongous thing from somewhere it did belong to somewhere it did not. So the people of the world could ogle and wonder how such a thing made made by man could travel such distances to sit on a floor useless but chugging away. Am I loud enough? (laughs) Producing the phantom products and materials that could and should be in some factory in some harbor city belching steam and passing the winds of coal-powered industry. Some of these things were part-assembled, guzzling and whistling, sounding as if they were tearing apart the inside of a train engine with all the precision of dynamite. Throughout the din of grinding metal, piercing sirens sounded in discontinuous intervals, sometimes harmonizing but more usually hitting such alien pitches that when one would begin at the tail end of another it was like a broken corded dirge extolling the death of all pure music Edison was at a desk it was larger than the one buffalo had on his train it was a finer drain wood too older growth something that was more and more difficult to find the lacquer was worn away in places unnatural stains were soiled into it, surely leaching into the deeper heart of the wood, corroding it from within. Large scrapes scarred it throughout. In one corner there was an unfinished game of tic-tac-toe. Buffalo did not step lightly, but Edison did not pull his head away from the notebook he was studying either. A few men, thickening the air of pretentiousness about Edison, waited alongside him, commented softly, and discussed mysterious things. It was one of these men who leaned to whisper, but as near as he was, he shouted into Edison's ear, notifying him of Buffalo's arrival. Edison looked up. "'Been here ten minutes,' said Buffalo. "'I haven't heard a bird sing since I was twelve years old, Mr. Cody, so you'll have to speak up.' Buffalo took a step closer. "'Ten minutes, Ed. Been here ten minutes.' The man who whispered shouted. Prior waited a beat, analyzing the nuances of Edison's comprehension before he leaned over and translated, once again, Buffalo's words, inserting formal address where Buffalo did not intend and punctuating it to Buffalo's great irritation with "Sir." Oh, have you? Did you tour the gallery? Quite a sight, isn't? It? They're at uh, Paris uh, uh the the um. World's Fair uh, 1891 Um, Buffalo adjusted his stance Clomped his boots Took another three three steps forward Tightened his diaphragm and boomed. I've been here in this spot, Ed Ten minutes, not moving, not seeing A damn thing in this place Been waiting on you Please, Mr. Cody I told you in my correspondence that I preferred Thomas Thomas will be fine I wanna make this quick because we gotta do a dry run before tomorrow. Suppose I'll offer myself a chair. Edison wrote a few lines into his notebook. Without prompting one without prompting, one of the men hurried off, supposedly for the chair, and then Edison said, Didn't you get Mr. Bone Shriek's suit? I had my people send it to your camp this morning. Bone Shriek's the star of the show, and he has near miraculous strength. And he's gonna be the focal point of the grand finale at the World's Fair. Um, no, I got it. That's why I'm here. That notebook full of hieroglyphs and figures from what Buffalo could see was snapped shut. My people were there to suit him up, weren't they? I assure you, they're well trained. You have nothing to worry about. I didn't let them go near Bone Creek with that thing. It looks like it'll kill them the moment they put it on. Edison chuckled. He'll be fine, Mr. Cody. This is for the benefit of both our endeavors. Your show is going to be seen by the largest world audience you've ever had, and they're going to see nothing short of a miracle. A man breaking a railroad tie in half with his own two hands ain't miracle enough? Shuffle steps. That's how Edison walked. He also wore footwear that looked like bedroom slippers. It was with this method and those shoes that he floated around his desk to be near buffalo. Mr. Cody... People have long quit believing in the physical prowess of man, don't you think? It only takes a large man the size of Bone Shriek to lift one of those ties above his head. Damn right. There were some tongue clicks and then these words. And a few strategic cuts from a saw to make it brittle. Fine trick, Mr. Cody. It sure is. You have many of our audience fooled, I'm sure. Hold on, Buffalo said, stepping close, speaking ever louder outperforming the mini-machines and pulling the eyes of workers two stalls over to see his and Edison's going-ons. You think we rig our railroad ties? We do no such thing. Bone Streak just snaps those damn things in half, something he's been able to do his whole life. He's a human champion, Ed. That's why we got him as a star. He just does these things. I don't train him. It's not a trick. Buffalo kept his rage back and concentrated on the min noises that came from all around. Cutting through the hemming and hawing of the revolving beasts, their voices coming from surprising angles, kitty corner ups and downs, as if the gallery existed in some other dimension where the grease blackened men could suspend themselves like raisins in a bread pudding. Fine, fine. A few shuffles were taken away until Edison's heels were butted against his fine desk of ruination. So use the light so you use a light wood, balsam. From a distance I'm sure it looks real. Wouldn't take much, even for a man like Bone Streak to feign the difficulty of lifting a light wood. What? How do we do the stagecoast toss? How do we get bones to bag a whole gang of train bandits into a crate, Ed? These ain't tricks. It's pure God given strength that Bones got. It's not a math equation, you son of a bitch. Alright, Mr. Cody. Look, I don't care how you do it. I'm just saying what your audience will see tomorrow is something genuine. They'll appreciate that. Angered, but not finding a way to respond, Buffalo found a penknife and with aggressive dexterity carved an X into that game of tic-tac-toe, claiming himself the winner of a game that had long gone unfinished. There, he barked. If ever you'd seen a show, you'd think different. I'm sorry, I don't know what you mean, Edison said. You wouldn't. Buffalo slept away turning back to say how long does it take to get a man a chair buffalo continued to pace the perimeter of the gallery in such a fury that he found that he had gotten turned around in the network of steel and noise the machines rose so steadily that he was pretty sure that the path he took to edison's display had somehow changed as he ventured toward what he thought was the exit there were new whirly gigs and doodads everywhere already erected and running their belts sighing dust from the lands they'd come from while their gear shed new rust oxidized from French air. It became a miserable, directionless tour, bringing Buffalo near a few large, angular, and inelegant machines. Miming that which he did not understand, Buffalo stood catawampus near one of them, a giant version of a sewing machine he got for his wife, but only after his children got to dismantling it and repurposing its innards to make a possum trap. He asked a few questions of an Italian dockhand, similarly repurposed as security to prevent anyone from wandering accidentally into the enormous wheeled engine that was connected to a number of pipes and shafts, which were then further crisscrossed by a network of various-sized chains. Here and there were small ports of piping that shot out steam now and again. It all happened chaotically in Buffalo's mind. There was no sense to any of it. He could hardly hear a thing for the tremendous noise it produced, but at the same time, he was astounded at what man could do, though he knew not what precisely. In fact, as he stood looking down that long line of machines that were all quite like the one he was inspecting, only in a different configuration, he started to believe that most of them were not much different than his show. An illusion that made a lot of noise and spectacle, but in the end was simply a vehicle for a group of nobodies to get along without trying to hurt anyone. He shouted a few questions in the direction of the Italian. His words were in English, but since nothing could be heard anyway, he saw Buffalo's move in in Italian. And even though he answered with a perfect Lingurian dialect, buffalo satisfied himself that this man could speak flawless English in this very non-American city. Above them, the machine creaked, coughed and whined with sirens and dynamos. Within within them, it rumbled their lower intestines. Below them, the vibrations shot through its steel anchor floor and made the soles of their feet itch. Still, both men somehow found meaning in their misunderstandings each satisfying himself that in this strange French land, with that new pig-iron tower, they could find another who may know well the name of the dusty towns in which each was born.
0: so there were the inaugural readings from the shindig in shytown town um, you know the nice thing about hearing chizniewski's um uh, stories were a we were in chicago but b both of us being chicago boys could totally relate to uh, to the the stories that he uh, that he read there
2: yeah um I, I yeah i thought it was really cool um i didn't realize they were all going to be sports related because they're just called chicago stories but uh um sports not being my forte but growing up in chicago i mean chicago is a very sports enthusiastic city so Hearing about the Cubs and, and that kind of um, wistful, dreamy thoughts about you know the Cubs winning the World Series and just dominating baseball, even though I'm not a big sports fan, kind of got me you know a little bit in the spirit just because you know obviously I love Chicago because I grew up around here. Yeah, Rob immediately the next day and um, we went out and he
0: got a Cubs Kangol instead of his regular <laughs> one. that's he's wearing now. Go Cubbies!
2: <laughs> I just I went and slept in front of Wrigley Field that night. <laughs>
0: yeah he's now he's now he's now messaging richard thomas and talking about wanting to go see watch bulls games at the, the buffalo wild so yeah
2: that's right speaking of oh. buffalo you like that little segue i just thought of there oh the, yeah. the uh the buffalo bill story marker pause um the first thing all right i want to see if you thought the same thing i did about this was his voice not perfect for for that type of a reading absolutely 100
0: percent. i you know and listening back to it um Listening back to it earlier today,
2: getting ready for this episode, I I thought exactly that—that that he was spot on. Yeah, and like even kind of not necessarily the way he was dressed, but the like he kind of had a look about him like I'd expect to see him in an episode of Deadwood or something. If that makes yeah. sense, yeah, I could see that.
0: I could totally see that, and some of that might be why he wrote that story. So yeah uh, it sounds like a like a pretty good book i do want to make a correction and this is not at all the fault of uh, mark or burnt bridge um at the time of the reading he mentions that the uh, kindle version is 199 because of the other readings that we've committed to putting up we're a little late on this it is 299 on amazon so what i suggest you do is you send a bunch of hate mail to mark and to <laughs> burnt Bridge until they bring that down to 199 so you can go ahead and buy his book in the ebook version
2: that's right. Follow Livius's advice and take money out of their pockets. <laughs> That's right. That's why I explain because people are going to be like, "Hey, he said it's a buck
0: ninety nine, and I go on and see a difference. Totally not their fault. Mostly our fault for um, you know taking this long to get the episode up. For taking a month to put up an episode. Yeah, but in that month we did so much cool stuff. Yeah, we, we posted. Are... We posted two other readings. Yeah, we right? read a couple books. Read a couple books. What did we? What did we just review? Chris Moore's Sacre Bleu. Yeah, we had to we spent that whole week getting drunk celebrating our one year anniversary. Remember that?
2: <laughs> I don't, but I'll take it. See, that's far. because we were really messed up that whole week. So um so we got a few more episodes coming up, but let's talk a little bit about the ambiance of uh, uh uh of of the reading. It took place in the Billy Goat Tavern, which I guess uh is famous and there's some Saturday night live skits, skits you know, based around it and everything, but it's like Uh, For anybody who hasn't been there, who hasn't been to Chicago, um, it's like this kind of, not underground, I mean it technically is underground, it's like this, I don't even know how to describe it, it's like this, it's like a burger joint that's also a bar, and it's really old, and it's got a very distinct kind of feel to it with all these pictures up on the wall like we said uh, in a previous episode of politicians and celebrities and random you know people uh visiting the Billy Goat Tavern and anything so it's got a very long kind of storied history to it it does and let, let's be honest it's a little bit of a dump too
0: which, <laughs> which kind of gives it its its ambiance I think it's it's weird it's like kind of under Michigan Avenue like it's, it's just it's a just a weird locale but I mean it was a perfect fit for this Now it sounded a little loud there. Um, This reading was packed. The little area that we had uh, was a little tight, but I mean, it was it was jammed to the walls. I happen to know for a fact there are a few people that left because they couldn't get close enough to actually hear the readers.
2: Yeah, it's not ideal for uh, for readings of any kind of any kind of real size. I guess Um, we had definitely. I mean, I think it would be good for an intimate kind of like fifteen or twenty audience you know people audience but anything above that and it's going to start to get uncomfortable but um, that being said I mean they worked it out they didn't really have a PA or any type of you know uh, uh, amp or or system or anything to, to amplify the voice so everybody was pretty much just shouting um, so our audio quality I think for, for the fact that they were just standing at one end of a room shouting ended up being really decent not as good as maybe the 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 one that we did at the Galway Arms, but still, I think it came off pretty well. Yeah, I was very pleased with it, and I was very, very nervous. I was kind of responsible
0: for the recorder for most of it. That would be my fault if we had crappy quality, but no, it worked out really well. So so
2: there you go. Part one, done. That's right. So the this was the first uh, of four episodes for our Shindig and Chinatown series. We're breaking them up just so that they're easily digestible. Now, if you want to uh, know right away when the, the next three episodes are coming out, my personal recommendation to you would be go to f- would be to go to facebook.com slash booked podcast click like on our page which now we've got the timeline there's no avoiding that the timeline is is everywhere so the like button is somewhere on there Hit, click like and then uh, immediately when we post a new episode it's going to show up in your news feed so that you'll know exactly the moment that a new episode is ready for you Yep, and then you can also subscribe to iTunes, and that way every time you plug up your uh, Apple
0: device, you'll just have our new episodes. At least I think that's how it works, right? Is that how it works? Sure. (laughs) Sure, there you go. So subscribe on iTunes. It'll automatically, magically show up on your phone or iPod. Um, That's it, or keep checking them out on the website. Feel free to leave comments, send us an email, whatever. You'll find all that info. All
2: right, well, that'll wrap it up for our first of four Shindig and Chi-Town reading episodes. Uh, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Libya Ned and keep listening.
1: And they talk about it still. When a man named Al Capone try to make that town his own. And he called his gang to war. With the forces of the law, I heard my mom.